Aiden, I see you're closest and you looked at me, so uh, let me have your hand out. Maybe, uh, maybe one or two of those to folks. Um, good to see you all, by the way. Thanks for uh, being back uh, with me. I'm glad to be back here. We had a good time on vacation, but uh, we're happy to be here. Uh, glad the weather seems to have come back with us from uh, North Carolina, a little bit cooler. But um, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our uh, Sunday school lesson for the, for the morning. Let's, let's go to our Lord in prayer. <clears throat> well, God, you look upon the one who is humble. You look upon the one whose heart is contrite. You call upon the needy and the helpless, and you answer their cries. You respond. Lord, show us uh, in our lives the root of envy and the root of pride this morning and uh, help unearth uh, our need to call upon you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, 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 we come to a transition point today in our Sunday School lesson on wisdom. We come to a point where we move from the kind of book-by-book study or the book-by-book comparison of Proverbs or Job or Ecclesiastes or whatever. We move into maybe four or five or six weeks. I forget how many I have in schedule, however many there is, on topics. One of the big things that people talk about when they speak about wisdom literature is let me get all the verses in the Bible on a given topic and tell you about it. And so we want to do that. That's not a bad way to look at things. We got to look at and see and compare and analyze what does the Bible say about a given topic. We begin this morning with a couple of items that often are maybe overlooked. Well, pride isn't so much overlooked. But, uh, but envy certainly is. We began this morning with the topic of envy. Right, I have a, a handout for y'all, and the handout simply is a list of the verses that we're going to be looking at, for better or for worse, this morning, so that you don't have to spend all your time flipping through and missing uh, some of the uh, comments we're going to make here. Um, we, we began this morning with really uh, what, what envy is and the distinction between envy and jealousy. The Bible tells us in a, a number of places, you can just look at Exodus 34, 14. The Bible tells us that God is jealous. God is a God who is jealous. God has the uh, quality of being jealous. Of course, you also have the quality of being jealous too, right? You have the quality of being jealous in some good ways. You have the quality of being jealous in some not good ways. We're told that God is a jealous God. We know that God's good, and therefore, what does it mean that God's jealous? What does it mean that God is, has this quality? We have to begin by analyzing what jealousy is. Jealousy is a commitment to a relationship. Jealousy is the absence of indifference. If you're a uh, husband or a wife and your spouse shows romantic affection towards somebody else, you should feel jealousy because you're committed to the relationship. You should feel that pain of jealousy. It's stirred up when it moves us to maintain a threatened relationship. Paul is jealous. He says, I'm jealous. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. I'm jealous that you Corinthians would be exclusively devoted to God. Paul is jealous. The Bible says you need to be jealous. Now, of course, the distinction here is that sinful jealousy, which really is connected to envy, it's not jealousy for, right? God's jealousy is jealousy for someone. 
sinful jealousy, what we might call envy, is jealousy of. Jealousy of someone, not jealousy for someone. little prepositional distinction there. Prepositions are critical in the Bible. They're critical in English class, and they're surprisingly critical in life as well. Not for someone, not for them to be better, not for them to uh, improve, but of someone. Envy is wanting somebody else's life. You see, they have something better than you do. They have better X. And instead of rejoicing, instead of rejoicing, you weep, right? Envy really is the messed up, topsy-turvy inversion of uh, joy and sorrow. The Bible tells us to be joyful with those who rejoice. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. Ecclesiastes, I'm speaking about wisdom literature, says there's a time for both. There's a time to have laughter coming out of your mouth all the time. There's a time to weep. Envy inverts those times. You see somebody has something better. You see they get the reward. They get the grade. They get the job. They get the gal. They get the car, they get the retirement, they get the life, and instead of rejoicing with them, you're upset about it. And this is all of social media, you understand. Social media is an envy factory. It creates envy in you. You did not get invited to the party. So what do you do? You moan, you weep, you cry. You say, what am I? Chop liver? Am I worthless? Must be worthless. This is why it Social media really threatens uh, people who are building themselves upon comparison to other people. Envy. Envy wants aspects of other people's lives. That's why the proverb, the first one we have here, 1430, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Notice the, remember, the parallelism. Proverbs are about parallel. You have the first clause, the second clause. No Santa Claus. First clause, second clause. First clause, heart at peace. The heart at peace is compared to envy. So we know a little bit here about envy by comparison. The opposite of envy, at least from this verse, involves a heart that is at peace. So envy lacks peace. Envy has no peace. More than that, a heart at peace gives life, but envy, we're told here, envy actually rots your bones. That's a vivid image, right? You ever think about rotted bones? Who here wants to think about rotted bones? No, I don't, I don't want to either. Um, but the Bible uses imagery to tell us to give concrete pictures to what is an abstract concept. The abstract concept is you're jealous of somebody. You're envious of their life. And as you let that envy just soak into you, what does it do? It soaks in venom. I mean, you've all heard the story of the king who, in this fairy tale, I suppose, the king who was poisoned because he, over time, over time, he kept on eating more and more poison. It's the frog in the pot, I suppose, similar, similar scenario. The frog slowly gets boiled alive and it dies. Envy does the same thing. It rots you. It will eat you up physically. It will eat you up spiritually. And perhaps the greatest psalm that describes this, I know we're not doing this psalm, but hey, it's, it's there. Uh, is, is Psalm 73. It tells us a lot about what envy is. If you want to turn there, I'll be making a couple of comments. <clears throat> you don't have to. Psalm of Asaph, verse 3. 
I was envious of the arrogant. He says, my feet had almost stumbled. I'd almost slipped. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, it's key here to realize in, in Psalm 73, uh, he, he's not envy. He's not envious of the arrogance of the arrogant. He's not envy of the fact they're arrogant. He doesn't want to be not arrogance. He's envy of their prosperity, right? The envy here is they have the cash. They have the lifestyle. They have what he does not have. He was eaten up by envy. He says, I had almost slipped. I'd almost fallen because they don't have any pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're happy. They have no trouble. They're not stricken. They have the good life. So what is envy? The first thing envy is, we've already really mentioned it, but the first thing of envy is envy is wanting somebody else's life. Envy is wanting the life of somebody else. You want to live like them. You see you have a lack. They have something better. You know, I was around a friend of mine, and I looked at um, the photos that their phone took, and I realized their photos were amazing compared to mine. And then I realized, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have a, an old iPhone. Even having an iPhone is a very luxurious thing, right? But, but what, I had a little flash of envy. I want the phone that can take those kind of cool, awesome pictures. Um, and for a good reason. I want to take you know, pictures of my wife or my dog, right? Those are all sorts of things, right? Those are, uh, uh, envy can be for a so-called good reason. But second, envy is not just wanting people's lives. I mean, that's kind of the easy thing. It's not just wanting people's lives. We don't just want people's lives. We resent this really is the um, part of the key. Envy is a resentment game. We begrudge them their lives. One of the hardest things to do is to praise somebody that does something better than you do, especially when you're good at it. Think about your job, your life, what you think your strength is. Now meet somebody who's just a little bit better. It's never that, look... When I play golf, I'm never upset that Tiger Woods is great or whomever, whatever golfer you like. I don't care. I, I, I never am upset. You know, if I play with Tiger Woods, I would not be at all upset that he would beat me by a, billion, a, a, a thousand strokes. But when I play with somebody who is two strokes better, that gets me. It's never somebody who's a superhero. It's always the person who's a little bit better than you at whatever you think you're confident, whatever you think you're good at. Envy is a resentment game. You see, when you pr the Bible calls us to praise God. The Bible calls us to praise people. The Bible calls us to encourage people. In praise, when you praise people, you recognize that person, that thing, that God is better than me, and you rejoice. Thank you, God, that you're better than I am. When you praise someone, part of honoring parents, you praise your parents for all sorts of things. But in envy, you recognize someone is better, something is better, and you despise it, you hate it, you resent it, you're angry about it. Envy is being happy when people are sorrowful and being sad when they're joyful. Envy is the inversion of joy and sorrow. It is weeping. See? 
The psalmist says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The wicked people are doing well. I hate it. When the people who are better than you, when they fall, you love it. You love it. I mean, you, you just, you're like, yes. This is why the celebrity, uh, the gossip rags are always going to sell because people love reading about the latest, you know, issue, the latest issue in the British royal family. They love reading about the, the drama of the celebrities, these people who are so rich and famous, you'd think they'd be great, but ha-ha, they got taken out of peg. Look at their failure. Look at their blow-up. They're just like me. They're worse than me. They have all this stuff, and they can't deal with it. That's why we like it. We like reading about short things. Um, envy is weeping because people rejoice. I mean, think about your life. Think about what you do. When somebody that you're jealous of gets something that they really want, you're upset. There's a little thought in you that, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. The great British actor John Gilgood writes in his autobiography that when Sir Lawrence Olivier played Hamlet in 1948, the critics loved him. I went to my room and I wept. Right? He's, he's a great, great actor. His rival, Olivier, plays Hamlet. Great reviews. He can't stand it. He can't stand it. It's envy. It's envy. Envy is weeping when people rejoice and rejoicing when people weep. It's the opposite of Romans 12, verse 5. It's the opposite of the state of mind of the righteous. Romans 12, verse 5. Sorry, my apologies. Um, 12.10, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. 12.14, bless those who persecute you. 12.15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Think about Christ, right? What, what does Christ do? When you weep, does he laugh at you? When you're crying, when you're sad, does he say, yeah, you're a worm, you sinner, I knew it. Ah, you're, you're failing over the place. Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their distresses, he too, he too, he too was distressed. He too was distressed. I mean, think about the flip side. When you grow in grace, when you're a little bit sanctified, is, is Jesus Christ upset about that? Is he angry? Is he sad when you are a little bit kinder? No. No, not at all. He rejoices. That's why we read the angels rejoice when there is one sinner whose life is saved. The angels don't weep when somebody becomes a Christian. They rejoice when a life is saved from the pit. So I guess one of the questions we can ask ourselves, is there somebody you feel has the life that you deserve? you feel has a life that you, you would do better with if you had their stuff. If you had their life, you would do a lot better than they're doing right now. I guess part of the issue is we don't think this is a problem, but the Bible tells us it's a problem. The Bible repeats over and over again that envy is an issue. Envy is an issue. Let me give you four reasons why you have to deal with this. We've already given a two-part definition, so to speak. Let me give you four reasons why you have to deal with this. A, or first if you want. I'll do A because I've already done one and two. 
Envy hides. Envy is small. Envy is a tiny sin. It's not anger. You know, I think we, we kind of know a little bit about what anger is. It's not lust. It's not greed. It's not gossip. It's not these things. It's envy. More than a lot of other sins, you and I don't want to believe envy is a problem we have. Envy is petty. Envy is petty because it's ungenerous. Envy is petty because it's kind of a shriveled up thing. Envy is petty. There's nothing that's really humiliating to have to say to somebody, I envied you. Or I, I am envying you. This is why um, in Psalm 73, verse 21, the psalmist writes, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. My soul was embittered. Envy. Envy always says it's not fair, right? This is the resentment game. Envy loves to hide itself and be that tiny voice in the back of your mind and says, you're the victim. I mean, this is really our society today. Victim games. We love playing victim games. I'm hurt. I'm aggrieved. I've been wronged. Victim games. It's not fair. You know somebody that you find really irritating. Think about the person you find the most irritating. They get under your skin. What if something bad were to happen to them? What would your reaction be? Yeah, good. Good. I finally. What's that? That's envy. Rejoicing when people weep. This is why the second reason why we need to deal with envy because it's a sucker. It's a joy sucker. That's not a technical term, but uh, someone I'll use. Envy sucks joy out of your existence. You know, if you're greedy and you're just thinking about ways to get money, hey, that can give you a lot of pleasure for a long time. If you're a proud person, we'll get to pride a few minutes. It can feel really good to be proud. I mean, to be arrogant, it feels really good. Lust, lust can bring you pleasure. There's even a sort of pleasure in anger. But what does envy do? Rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. It's a bone rotter. Envy is a poison. It's a joy sucker. So if you want to look at where you think you're losing your joy, where you think your life's not happy, it's not going well, you might not do too badly to ask yourself the question, is it envy? Is it envy in my life? Is there envy there? Envy sucks joy. Third. It poisons others. Envy poisons other people. It poisons your ability to have friends. Think about it. You'll never have a good enough friend. You'll never have a good enough friend if you're in the group of envy. Because they're going to fail you one day. They're not going to rejoice one moment when you're rejoicing. 
or they're going to get something and, and you want, they're going to get that phone you want in the phone. They're going to get that. that uh, they're going to have that Christian experience that you wanted for so long and you haven't had it yet. And so what does it make you? It doesn't, it doesn't just suck joy, but it makes you somebody who is hypercritical. Makes you someone who is a constant critic, who can never sit down and enjoy the moment. That's what envy does. Envy comes to you and it says, there's always something wrong because you're always looking at somebody else and saying, I'm better or I'm worse. You're always playing the comparison game. And again, we never play the comparison game with Hitler or Mother Teresa. We never say, I'm better than Hitler or I'm, I'm worse than Mother Teresa. It's always the people who are closest to us. Envy poisons us socially. It poisons, for example, your ability to appreciate your body. We live in a culture that makes you envy the beautiful. It's a marketing strategy. It gives you pictures of beauty over and over again so that when you look in the mirror, you see the flaws and not the beauty. You see the pimple, you see the acne, you see the problem, you see the hair, you see all these sort of things. It, it, it's, it poisons our politics. Envy. We live in a politics of envy. You have power, I want power. I don't have power, I need power. If only my people had power. If only the folks I like had it, then we'd be better. That's what's wrong in the world today. Is it just envy? Is it really your political theory or is it really just envy? Is it really your issue, the political issue that you value, or is it envy? Envy of power. Um, I think fourth, the reason why we need to really get this is once you look at envy, you look at yourself. You, it helps you to understand your heart. When you look at envy, you begin to see what you are. Because what really is envy? Envy is trying to justify yourself every single day. I'm better than. If I had that, I would be better than they are. Envy is self-justification. Praise is self-surrender. Envy is self-justification. Praise or admiration is glad self-surrender. Only the justified Christian can ever aim at destroying envy. Only the one who knows I'm not myself, but I'm in Christ. Only the Christian can actually begin to deal with envy. So what's the antidote to envy? This is the, uh, the third of the little um, verses I give to you. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And then verse 18, there is surely a future hope for you. Your hope will not be cut off. Surely there's a future. Your hope will not be cut off. What does envy look at? Envy never looked at the future. This is a big issue for envy. Envy, the envious heart, never looked at the future. It looked at the present and maybe at the past. You know, if you want to build a case of why you should have that. I didn't get it. I need it. They have it now. I want it. Envy looks at the present. Maybe looks at the past. But the solution, the antidote to the poison of envy is to look ahead and look up. The solution to envy 
is a twofold solution. Look up and look ahead. Look up, look ahead. Look up to the Lord. That's why the counterpart to not letting your heart envy sinners in verse 17 is be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord. But the antidote to being an envious person and rotting, have a soul-rotted heart is to not think of what you deserve. Not think of what you've earned. Right? Envy is all about, I deserve this. I, I should get a shot at that. Why haven't I been selected? Why, why don't I have that? Envy is about what I have earned, what I have done. Grace is about, of course, what I haven't earned. Grace is about what I haven't deserved. We are obsessed. Envy obsesses over what I think I deserve. Victim mentality. Grace says, God has given me what I do not deserve. The fear of the Lord. It drives away envy. Second, of course, not just looking up, but looking ahead. Don't look just to the present. Only envy can give you a future-minded life. Only envy can uh, only only sorry not only, only the absence of envy. Only looking ahead can destroy envy. Your true reward is based not on what you think you deserve, but on God's grace. This is why Psalm seventeen verse fifteen tells us that believers will not lack anything. Do you think you lack something? Envy says, I lack recognition. I lack money. I lack a person. I lack a phone. I lack a good golf game. I lack a lot of things. But the Bible tells us that you will have no lack. You'll have no, there will be a time in your life when you will actually lack nothing and God knows when to give it to you. And isn't that, if you think about it, isn't that incredible? Think about Jesus Christ, of course, as we kind of conclude our section. Maybe now, I'll, I'll, if you have any comments or pushback or feedback, I'll, I'll ask for it. <clears throat> Think about Jesus Christ. He was the most unenvious human being who ever lived. Did he complain about dying when he deserved life? I mean, Jesus deserved to live. If you think you get wronged, if you think you, uh, or, or you, you deserve something that the other people have, The author of life, the creator of all things, the very word of God, deserved life. He deserved not to die. And look at what he did. Was he he envious? No. He was the complete and utter opposite of envy. In love, he gave up himself. He made himself equal to a dirtbag, a slave like you. And he didn't complain. He didn't say, you know, I'm the king of kings. I deserve all things. No. He did it for you. And when you look at that, when you look at that cross, that will begin to erode your envy. Why should you complain? Why should you complain when you're a Christian and you get a life that is infinitely, not like a teensy bit, infinitely better than you deserve? You get a life that you don't deserve. As a Christian, you get adopted into the family of God. As a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. As a Christian, you get joy. You get peace. Envy can never give you peace. Envy can never do it. You get it. 
you, I suppose that, again, the antidote is to not think so much about what I deserve, my rights. We're Americans. We don't think about our, our, our rights. What does Paul say in the book of 1 Corinthians? He says the Christian is the one who is willing to give up his rights for the sake of the brethren. I don't know the last time I saw a politician of any stripe that did something like that. Give up their rights. Give up that really beautiful talking point that can score some points. Because they had a higher goal or a better goal in mind. That's, of course, the case for all of us. Do we think about what we deserve or what Christ deserved and did instead? Uh, that's envy. Thoughts? Questions, clarifications, commentary, criticism. All right. Wow. So either we all understand it perfectly or I've been terrible. I won't think about which is which. We'll go on to pride then, unless uh, y'all have any other questions. Pride. Pride's a little easier in one sense because we kind of know it's a sin. We know it's a problem. Envy, we don't think about. Envy, we don't. Uh, you know, if we were in the Middle Ages, think about the seven deadly sins, we think about it more often. But um, pride, we of course know. You know pride is uh, what caused the fall, right? Pride is the, the issue. But what actually is? What actually is pride? Let's look here. You'll notice I have a lot more uh, verses in this section. We'll see how much we get through uh, before I decide it's time to leave. Uh, or we need to stop. Um, we begin here with kind of the marks of pride, what what pride looks like, how you can spot it in somebody's heart and life. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 14. <clears throat> uh, sorry, verse 11 through 14. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean or pure in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty or haughty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Um, each verse here, from verse 11 to 14, begins with a different kind of person. The person who hates their parent. A person who oppresses the poor, verse 14. So these are different people, but of course they're all kind of the same person. They're a proud person. These are all marks of the proud person. First, verse 11. Pride makes us hate authority. Pride says, I'm the captain of my soul. I do what I want. And so we resist our parents, who are the first authority figures in our lives. That's what pride does. Second, verse 12. Pride blinds us to our flaws. It blinds us to our issues. It blinds us to our envy, even, of course. But we think we are pure, but we are actually not cleansed. We cannot change our filth. We cannot change what's wrong with us. Third, verse 13. We become disdainful. This really is the, uh, a synonym, perhaps, of envy. We envy others, or we think we're better than they are, and so we look down upon them. Literally, in the ESV, 
how high their eyelids lift. When does your eyelid lift? You can be really happy, I suppose. Or when you're looking and saying, really? You think you're hot stuff? You're not hot stuff. Eyelid lifts. Pride. That's what pride does. Uh, Fourteen. Fourthly. It is not simply interpersonal relationship. It, it, it is not simply a, a, a bad view of ourselves. It's not simply hating authority. But when we have authority, when we have power, what do we do with it? We oppress. We ruin. Right? So you see here, not to get all chiastic, but you see the inverse, right? If we're an underling, we hate it. If we're in power, we love it. These two connect, and uh, these two connect as well, right? My own internal self and how I view other people, right? That's a, that's a little structural thing there for those who like uh, the poetic structure of the, the verses. The point is simply that pride is an all-around evil. Pride is kind of, has an all-around game. You know, in tennis, this may not be helpful for most of us, but in tennis, there, there are players who are better on certain courts, right? Some are better on clay or grass or hard court. But then there are those who are the all-around players. I think uh, Bjorn Borg was one of those guys, right? Uh, pride is really an all-around tennis player. Pride is good on any court. It's good anywhere you go. Uh, pride really does everything. It is, as one writer says, the complete anti-God state of mind. Um, it is the complete opposite of uh, Philippians 2, right? Compare this to Christ. What does Christ do? He does not seek glory for himself. He does not seek glory for himself. Um, so let's look at some, uh, some features of pride if we want to. Um, we'll begin here uh, in Proverbs 11, verse 12. Whoever derides their neighbor or belittles the ESV uh, has no sense but the one who has understanding holds their tongue or remains silent. Similar, similar meaning. Proverbs forbids belittling. What does it mean to belittle or deride? It means to treat as unimportant. And the Bible links this with pride. You despise someone. It's one thing to be proud of your possessions, proud of your work, proud of that. I, I did a good job. I'm proud of that. But sinful pride takes no pleasure in having something. It wants more than what the other person has. So proud people are not actually proud of being intelligent or being good or successful or beautiful. Proud people are proud of being more beautiful. Envy, right? See how pride and envy, that's why I put them together. They're, they're connected. Richer, smarter than other people. It is the pleasure of being above the rest and saying, peons, you ugly, pathetic people, I'm glad I'm not like you. That's pride. It's the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee, not the tax collector. Um, and of course, you think about our Savior, right? He had claims of divinity. He had lofty pride. He could revel in his position as the Son of God. How did he actually act when he came among us? Ladies, y'all should know, gentle and lowly. He was kind and lowly of heart. He was willing to associate with outcasts, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. He was willing to associate with those, and he looked down upon nobody. So how, how can we do that? How can you do that? Right? If part of pride is despising, how can you model 
the way Christ associated those whom others look down upon. <clears throat> Moving on. 1525, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but He sets the widow's boundary stones in place. 1525, pride has a problem, of course. It, it looks down, but it never looks up. Right? Pride looks down on others, but pride never looks up. It never looks up to God. The Hebrew word for proud in this verse is ge'eh. That doesn't matter. Only, it only matters in that when, when it's used to define God, it means supreme majesty. God has supreme, glorious majesty. And yet, the proverb here uses it for a human being. A human being who claims to have supreme majesty. We want to be gods. I mean, this, of course, is the fall. This is the issue that we face. We don't look up because we don't think we need to look up. We don't look up to God because we don't think He actually functionally exists. Or if He does, He's not God. We are. We want to run our, run our, our, our own lives. We want to grab God's status for ourselves. We have a grand delusion. And therefore, it makes us foolish and also, notably, look, the, look at the connection here. This is a side note in verse 25. Remember the parallelism here. These are meant to be read together. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. And notice it does not say he sets the humble person's boundaries down. Notice it does not say the humble. You, you would expect it to read, he, he tears down the proud person's house. And he, he uh, sets the humble person. Because we think pride and humility are the, kind of the opposites. It's not what he says. He says the widow. See, there's a, there's a social aspect to this. There's an, even an economic aspect to this. Um, pride leads to not just bad things for you, it leads to bad things for other people. Right? It's, it's simply the refusal to let God be God. Um, let me give a couple more things here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, we'll skip down to verse uh, chapter 19 verse 11 a person's wisdom yields patience it's to one's glory to overlook an offense it's to it's a man's glory to overlook an offense a body part when a body part gets injured when, when my elbow right now got injured i hit it on something this last week i don't like touching it now it's a little annoying i, I recoil if it if somebody gets near it this word for patience means a relaxed face, not one that responds instantly, not one that's hurt and then recoils. A person's wisdom yields a relaxed face. What does pride do? Pride is touchy. Not touchy-feely, touchy. Pride's touchy. When people say things that you don't like, you shoot right back. You got to get the zinger in. You got to make sure you respond. Or do you slow your response? Do you slow your roll? Do you act and not react? We are touchy because we are sensitive about ourselves. We are sensitive about our glory, our honor, our status. I should tell us something. I don't notice my elbow 
until it gets hurt. I don't care about my elbow. I just, you know, elbow, I use it. And then it gets a little dinged up, and now I'm noticing it. But what does pride do? Pride notices the self. It notices us all the time, me. Where am I in the room? Pride scans the room and says, who's looking good today? Who's looking bad today? Where do I fit? What are people thinking about me? Pride looks at the self. Sin distorts that. The true glory is the glory of Christ to let it, to not be touchy, but to let irritation and a slight go without paying back. We live in a payback day. That's why we live in an envious day. That's why we live in a resentment day. We live in a victim day. Because we live in a payback day. But what does Christ say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Is it easy for you to feel a slight? Or are you able to overlook an offense? Last thing I'll say here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop. Um, I think we'll skip down to um, chapter 15, verse 33. Second to last, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. Humility comes before honor. If you have humility, you don't seek honor. That's what the, the verse means. Humility comes before honor. I think we're all aware, we're all very well aware of the opposite of pride is this nebulous thing called humility. What are we told about in this verse? Humility comes before honor. There's a paradox here in that humility does not aim at honor. Pride aims at honor. Humility does not aim at honor, but humility gets honor. Humility comes before, that has two meanings. Humility does not aim at honor, but it actually leads to honor. Humility does not say, I must be honored, but it actually leads to honor. This is the biblical gospel. This is the gospel in, in a, a, a one aphoristic proverb, sentence, verse, whatever you want to call it. God brings his salvation, we'll see it this morning even a little bit, through Jacob and not Esau. He brings it through Leah and not Rachel, Sarah, not Hagar, David, not his older brothers. God works with the girl that nobody wants and the boy people forget. And when God comes into the world, he comes humbly. He does not come as a general. He does not come as an aristocrat. He does not come as somebody who's a politician. He does not come as a genius. He does not come as an inventor. He does not come as a scientist. He comes as a poor man. He does not grab power. In fact, when people want to make him king, he deliberately hides himself and refuses it. He loses power. He dies, but by his sacrifice, by his humiliation, as our catechism and confession and general theology calls it, by his humiliation, he is exalted. He brings salvation to the world. The dishonor of the cross leads to more honor. And so for us, the humility of faith and repentance as a Christian, what does that lead to? You would think it leads to bad things happening to you, and sometimes, of course, it does in the world's view of things. But it ultimately leads to the honor of acceptance and adoption in Christ. When you look to Him and not yourself, when you believe, when you have faith, you are justified. Humility is the only way out of pride. I have to close here, unfortunately. There's more we could say, but... Um, Again, any questions?
commentary. At least a nod to show me that uh, this is understandable somewhat. Pushback, even. <laughs> 